listening to The Tactical Kitchen. I'm Melody Behrens, certified chef and nutritional therapy practitioner. And I'm Steve Behrens, 21-year special operations veteran and certified personal trainer. Together, we are here to share our experience on the ketogenic lifestyle. Don't forget our disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only and should not be considered a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We're not doctors, and we don't play them on the internet. Now, let's get ready to chew the fat. Mmm, bacon. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Tactical Kitchen Show, episode 73, take two. You stole my line. That's exactly what I was going to say. Because somebody, uh, maybe it was me, totally messed up the recording from last week because I didn't turn the microphone on the right way. Let's just say we had a malfunction. And that happens. (laughs) He did. I normally don't turn this microphone on. I just turned it on and thought I was done with the on switch, but apparently there's more to it than there's that. More to it than that. And this is a, a home production, so it's not like, you know, we got professionals doing this. It's just us, so mistakes are going to happen. It's not a big deal. <laughs> yes, especially when it comes to me and electronics. <laughs> yeah. So not super techie, not my not my strong suit. But other than that. Oh, yeah. Other than that, we got plenty of other stuff to deal with in the house. I've been dealing with the furnace for like two weeks. Other techie stuff other, I don't get other involved stuff. with. Oh, gosh, man. So, HVAC systems. They're fun. And the reason why that's important is because today in Texas, in our hometown here, and apparently all over Texas, it dropped from 61 degrees this morning down to it's going to get down to 24 tonight. So big swing. Yesterday I was wearing shorts and a tank top and running in the sunshine and today it's like living in... in uh, what is the cat doing? If you heard that, our cat's chasing her own self. I don't know what she's doing. She's having a ball, apparently. Not sure what's going on, but it's really <laughs> she's funny. She's running back and forth <laughs> and meowing. Yeah, so it's cold. So if we don't have a furnace, it's going to be cold in the house. So we'll figure that out. No yeah. worries. We'll get that done. We totally missed because of the recording last week, which we did make a, a podcast, but it's lost in the, it's lost somewhere well, now. Well, <laughs> it stunk. The sound was not awesome yeah. because it used the computer sound, not our mic sound. So uh, we're not going to put that out because it makes it hard to listen to. Yeah, it sounded really bad. So we missed Halloween. Um, talking about that, and we have a few other things that we're going to hit on that we talked about last week in the episode you'll never hear. So, <laughs> another lost episode. Yes, another lost episode. But Halloween came and went. We survived. Hopefully, you did too. If you're listening to this, um, we just will recap on that real quick. Um, it is sugar season, not mm. really flu season. Right. So, if you had a Halloween candy fiasco, and you found yourself a little sniffly over the next few days. That's usually just because the sugar lowers the immune system. We've talked about all that stuff before. Oh, yeah. So the, the big thing about Halloween is, is we have our 16-year-old son who's here, and he wanted to go out you know, with his friends and do a little uh, trick-or-treating, which is fine. They're at that, that uh, age where, should you really be trick-or-treating? You're kind of big. Uh, they're kind of like milking it now. Yeah, they are. <laughs> but they wanted to get out and have fun, and, and that's great. So uh, he went trick-or-treating and uh, came back and... <laughs> And we asked him if he'd had any candy, and his first response was, no, I didn't have any candy. Oh, maybe some. Okay, like 10 pieces. So It was it, less than 12. It, less than 12. <laughs> it escalated quickly, and you could tell by his behavior, you knew right off the bat he'd be eating sugar because he was already uh, behaving a little erratically, Yeah. which is not normal for him. 
His speech was a little punchy, kind of like snippy. You know, you know how teenagers can be. But normally he's not like that. No, he's not. And he just became a little bit of an emotional wreck for a few days. <laughs> and you couldn't tell him anything. You couldn't remind him to do anything. He would just like, I already know that. You know, got all upset about it. And we knew it was just the sugar and it was like a little addict. He was going to, it's going to run its course and it'll be out of his system soon. But then what happened? Yeah. Was, so, well, com- to compound it even worse, he went to spend the night somewhere else. The next night. So that was Thursday night. was Halloween. Friday night, he went to a sleepover and had just regular old pizza, which he does not need. No. So, and then we roll into, we had Saturday. He was kind of a zombie-ish. And then Sunday, he got sick. Yeah. So we, we hear the throwing up happening late in the evening. And that's about what my prediction was, was after Halloween candy, pizza on a Friday, gluten is going to attack the system, and we're going to have some vomiting probably happening. And it's exactly what happens. So people who are gluten intolerant or or have that gluten allergy, and for him, gluten is a really big deal because of... um, just We've talked about that before, some of the uh, autism tendencies and um, characteristics that he has from some... uh, what would you say? It was really primarily from, like you've talked about before, antibiotic overload. Right, yeah. When he was young, pneumonia, antibiotics, that's when his behavior problems have, you know, started getting worse. And uh, you know they wanted to medicate him. We fixed all that with diet. So when he does hit these episodes where you know he has sugar, which he usually never has none. Or um, gluten. Or gluten, and he has gluten. Um, you're going to see those behavioral changes in kids if they have a gluten intolerance. And then, of course, the physical ramifications of the vomiting, which, you know, we knew he wasn't sick, sick. We knew it was just a food reaction, but, you know, it did, it lasted for a little while. He still got up and went to school the next day. He was fine, but, and now we're kind of back to normal, which, you know, is awesome. He he does have a resilient system because, you know, to go through that kind of, uh, you know, throwing up your food and not feeling well, and that happened kind of in the later hours of Sunday he went to bed, woke up the next morning, got up, and went to uh, practice, which, you know, he gets up at 6 and leaves by 6.30, he's out of the house. So that's something I think most adults probably wouldn't even do. Right. So so we made it through. We're unscathed pretty much from the Halloween activities. Now on to the next holiday, right? <laughs> so it's holiday season, and that stuff's going to come up again and again over the next several weeks um, where kids or yourself, you're going to be presented with things you might normally not eat or normally not allow your kids to have. And you might think to yourself, well, let's just do it because it's, you know, the holiday. Just understand and know what is going to take place after that and try to be prepared. You know, things like what, what did I say last time? I think I've mentioned this before. My biggest tip, have some bone broth frozen and ready to go for, especially if your kids do get sick like that from eating foods they're not used to because sugar will make you throw up. And you want to replace electrolytes and have something they can replenish their system with. Well, speaking of being prepared, one of the things we got in the past couple of weeks was a sample of carnivore snacks. Yeah. I posted that on our Instagram stories and on our uh, Instagram page, and we were sent that sample, and I will tell you that was probably the, well, no, it was the best meat snack I've ever had. It was, absolutely. It was, uh, they just took, it's like they took ribeye steak and cut it into very well-cut slender pieces and dried it out, and it was delicious. Yeah, so it 
It is dehydrated at a super low temperature, and it retains 97% of its nutrients, and um, it's grass-fed beef. They're going to be doing a Kickstarter, I think, hopefully sometime, start one this month in November. So be watching for that. We're going to be trying to, we'll try to pass that information along as it's happening because you, you're going to want these. They're really good. They are really good. I don't know how much they're going to cost. I, I'm sure they're not going to be cheap. Uh, but, man, I tell you, if you if you want to have that snack along either for your road trip or, um, you know, for out at a friend's house, whatever, they were delicious. Yeah, hiking, biking, running, whatever, or just like you said, traveling. If you go to a party, if you have that, you know, before you go, it's really filling. Mm-hmm. and Or you can have it. And it, the texture was the coolest part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. Because I can't hardly describe it. It was more like... Almost like a chip. It was almost not, like a chip, but not quite. Yeah. The, the, I can't even put my finger on what texture to relate it to. Because normally meat snacks are super weird, chewy, and kind of dry. Yeah. And this was dry, but not dry in a tough sort of way, if that makes sense, for anybody who has ever had really tough beef, like beef jerky. Well, the thing about beef jerky is it's, it's just one piece of meat, and this looked like uh, a ribeye steak because you could see the fat in it and you could taste the fat and that was a cool thing. And it's only seasoned with Redmond's uh, real salt, which it was so good. I mean, oh, gosh, I'm just going on and on about it because <laughs> ours is all gone now. <laughs> we're, getting, we're getting you guys all excited and you can't even get them yet. I know, you so can't great. even get it. So go follow them on Instagram, Carnivore Snacks with an X yep. at the end. Yeah, really good. Hope, hope to see that product come out soon. Yeah. Um, a product that I don't want to see and I don't want to try and I probably will never is the Beyond Burger Beyond Meat. There's so much going on about the Beyond Meat and the Impossible Burger and and it's in the Beyond Impossible it's Whopper. Beyond, beyond Impossible to avoid it right now. <laughs> like burger King's really pushing it and other people are real. Other restaurants are pushing it and yeah. So the flood of I mean, there's it's it's on all the commercials. If you if you even watch TV, there's always the Burger King. You know, try the burger. Uh, thing and also with with the game changer things coming out, everybody's pushing that stuff online. Uh, it's just hard to avoid. So we're, we're sure you guys have seen it, but you know what you have to understand is these are very highly processed foods, right? Um, so just reading the ingredients, I mean it's it, it's supposed to look and taste just like a burger, but when you read the ingredients, they're pretty long. It's like pea protein. Some of one of them is soy protein and just crap just so much junk and so much fibers junk. and it's just not something that's appealing to me a lot of highly processed stuff and then you look at a real burger and it's beef you know <laughs> i mean or bison whatever or you know or venison whatever you make your burgers out of it's that it, the ingredients are beef or meat of some sort and that's pretty simple you can mix meats and make it a long ingredient list if you want like you could mix all kinds of different kinds of meat, but it's still just meat. Yeah, and they've had burgers like this for a long time. I know we we talked, we both ate Boca burgers for you know a certain period of time. Yeah, they were crappy too, and they were crappy too. But that's but that's when you know I know we were trying to eat a plant based diet and not eat too much meat because it was quotes bad for you. Well, they were they were yes. Because the meat was bad for you, the apparently soy protein was really good for you <laughs> in people's minds. But I will say that all the soy that I ate during the time when I actually 
practiced like a vegan diet, I was so inflamed. It was just, it was the worst I've ever felt. Yeah. So this is what anticipate happening from these, you know, meat replacements is people are going to eat this product and they're going to be inflamed. They're going to have issues that they're not going to understand because they're eating things that are healthy. Yeah. And I remember, I can remember when I was doing this back in the late like 90s. And I would, you know, I've talked about that before, about the scar tissue in my stomach. I would sneeze and it would feel like it was just ripping in half. And I couldn't, I could, it took me a long time to, to like connect that the scar tissue issue was related to my food. And I remember the first time I read something about soy being inflammatory. And then I started like taking note of all the different soy products that I was ingesting. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm eating so much soy. No wonder I feel like total dog poo-poo. I know. And I remember that too, that that time frame where I was eating more plant-based, well, a lot of plant-based products and soy was included. And I remember being hardly able to get out of bed in the morning because my joints hurt so bad, especially my ankles. Like I couldn't hardly walk in the morning because my ankles hurt so bad. Yeah. Because back at that point, all you had as a milk replacement Mm -hmm. that was vegetarian was really um, soy milk. Hemp milk was starting to come on the scene at that time. And I bought it once, and it was so chunky and weird. I just couldn't couldn't even do it. And <laughs> soy milk was already a big stretch for me because it was stinky at that time frame when they were making plant-based milks. Now, it, I will say at least they've improved the flavor. They've done a lot of processing to improve the flavor a lot of, of all these nut and plant-based milks. But that's a whole other problem that we're going to see with people is not just... The inflammation from soy, but now you've got almond milk and cashew milk and all these different milks that people are going to use in place of real natural cow's milk or goat's milk and uh, or no dairy at all. And those things come with their own poisons really locked into them like lectins and phytic acid and all these different things that we also know are problematic for people's joints and their health. So, so what I find funny is how uh, plant, you know, plant eaters like they're like they're weird. No, people who try to eat a plant based diet, they're always trying to create things that look and taste like meat, but it's not meat. So, are you going to talk about the Arby's? So, so the Arby, So, we saw this thing where Arby's is making meat that looks like vegetables, or or specifically that they're making meat that looks like a carrot. Yeah, I posted that the other day because it was so funny. I thought it was just Arby's kind of like saying. Touche plant-based burgers, you know, because they took the turkey and they sous vide it and rolled it in carrot powder and made it look like carrots. It was really hilarious. So it's just funny because nobody ever goes to a restaurant and says, could you make my meat taste like vegetables? Right. But people will say, could you make my vegetables taste like meat? And that's what's happening. It's really ironic. Well, there's this divide happening between the, the people who eat meat and the people who eat vegetables. And, and, and we were talking earlier before we came on. It's like you're either right or you're wrong. You're either on this side of the fence or you're not. And it's really not that way. It's so interesting because I really do think that it is that way. Everybody wants to be right. And, and that's what the, the point is. Everybody wants to be right. And you want to be so right that you'll go so far to one side and you'll, you'll persecute the other person that's being wrong. Now, if you're feeling healthy, if you're eating a certain way, like we are, we eat you know, primarily animal proteins and fats, 
you know, we feel really good. So we'll, we relay that to people. And now if you're eating uh, a strictly plant-based diet and you feel really good, I understand why you, why you would relay that to people and encourage them to do what you're doing. But what you have to understand is not everybody's the same. Right. And a lot of these ideas in vegetarianism and veganism actually date back to, well, they're tied directly to religious beliefs, which is really interesting because that's not scientific. <laughs> no matter how you, how you slice it or dice it or chop it, whatever. But it's all tied back to these religious beliefs that I was reading some of them earlier um, in this food history book that I have that, you know, it dates back to uh, ancient Rome and how that they would encourage people or they would tell people that fish was good because it came from cold water. So water's pure, fish is white. Very scientific reason. Yeah, the color white is pure. They did allow (laughs) milk people to drink milk because it was white, therefore it was pure. And then, so they had a plan of milk, bread, and water to cleanse people. That sounds like a prison diet. (laughs) (laughs) Very, very similar. Yes. Yeah. So they would, they would base their belief on certain foods and their, 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 um, sinful nature according to the color of the food like milk was good because it was white bread was fine because it was white but then flesh was red and you had to put it in fire so that meant hell so it became hot so therefore that was an indulgent food that was considered you know a sinful food that you had to do away with during religious you know, rituals and practices and fasts. Right. So, and all this stuff has just carried over to where people just continue to try to, you know, uh, drive you away from meat and point you toward plants like they're, they're more, they're healthy because they're just more, you know, they're more angelic, they're more pure than meat is. And that, and that, and that has nothing to do with science. If you look at it just from a nutritional standpoint, we all know a plant-based diet is very nutritionally deficient. You lack a lot of things that your body needs to thrive. Where if you eat mostly meat, now you're not going to miss those things. Now, are we saying you should eat only meat? No, you can eat a mix. You can eat meat with some vegetables and be just fine. I mean, that's Keep not talking. I'm getting something. That's not that's not going to bother you at all. So uh, you know, when you when we get in these in these discussions, we'll call them. Sometimes they seem like arguments, but because people get so you know agitated is we just encourage you to understand that meat is not bad so you don't want to don't want to avoid meat because everyone says it's bad because there's no science to back that up so you know the whole science that dietitians and registered dietitians use about how you should eat everything in moderation right because that's totally scientific right totally scientific moderation that's a very scientific term it's a very scientific approach But here's where it actually comes from. So I thought this was so interesting that where it comes from is that whole idea of fasting um, and doing away with meat during fasting times for religious purposes. Well, people got so zealous and became zealots about fasting that then the church was like, wait a minute, now you're in danger of the next sin which is going to be pride. You're fasting so much and, and you're depriving yourself so much. Now you're in danger of the sin of pride. So St. Thomas came around and said, so here's what everybody needs to do. So you're not in danger of the sin of pride. Everybody needs to do everything in moderation. 
so that you stay in an equilibrium and in a balance. And that's where that whole idea of in moderation comes from, so that people don't get swayed too far to one side or the other. So that's really not scientific. It all comes from a religious back, you know, backdrop. If you yeah, and they still say. they still use that in in even in the the personal trainer magazines that I get, they they, they talk about energy balance. Energy balance. You know, yes. working out and eating not too much food, so you get this energy balance. That's total bunk, man. That 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 is scientifically does not even work out. Yeah, and so you know, it's just interesting if you look at where these ideas actually come from, and people act like they were, you know, come they came about by these large scientific studies. No, somebody was like, you guys are getting kind of prideful with all your fasting and depriving yourself, so you need to be more about moderation. Yeah, and that's just kind of followed us for. Hundreds and hundreds of years. And you know what? Be creative. Eat the rainbow. Yeah. There's another one. <laughs> There's another one. And that's all about color again. Yeah. It's all it is. about color. And you know, the the virtuous colors are white and clear and light and bright. And then the colors that, you know, are dark are meant to be evil and yeah, drag so, you down into sin. Yeah, so <laughs> it's amazing. We're, we're not trying to bash on on anything here. We're just trying to explain. Uh, you know, if you really do your research, and and we always talk to I, I talk to people all the time about do your research, but do your research way back. Don't just don't just look at the past you know ten years of food studies that are very tainted by pharmaceutical companies and food companies because they pay for those studies to get done and come out in their favor. You have to be very careful of that. You got to go back. You know. It, hundred however many years and look at what people were eating how they were doing and even in the early late 1800s early 1900s were there were some really good things uh, published like the Weston A. Price stuff that shows what people were eating and how healthy they were yeah I know and I, I still feel like that should be like required reading for everyone the Weston A. Price book absolutely yeah I mean nutrition and physical gen- degeneration and you know I learned a few things over this week doing some more research on um, based on his work there there was a dentist that I listened to and they're actually like really looking at treating children as early as one year old because they're looking at their palates mm-hmm. and how their mouth is shaped and how their um, nose their nasal cavity connects to their breathing. And they're having children as early as two years old that are having to see cardiologists because their inability to breathe through their nose because of their misshaped face due to their poor diet, the poor diet of their parents. Right, and that's a degeneration of our species. And that's all, that's what Weston A. Price's book is all about. And it's really interesting that there are dentists now who are really starting to pick that up and run with it. And it's, you know... You wish that we could have been really focusing on this for all of these years, but at least it's happening now. And they're treating children for their, like they can widen their palate and help them breathe better. Because we know that if you can't breathe well through your nose when you're sleeping, that we do know that that can increase people uh, having heart issues. Mm -hmm. And even um, like Alzheimer's and things like that, just through the breathing pattern of your of, of your sleep. Well, not being able to breathe through your nose is sleep apnea, and right. sleep apnea has been contributed to a lot of uh, chronic health disorders and and poor uh, brain function. 
Yeah. So if you, you know, if you have sleep apnea, you know, you need to make sure that you get it looked at and get, get one of the, you know, maybe a CPAP machine. So making sure you're, you're breathing properly at night. So that's when your brain does all it's repairing. And if you're not sleeping well and your brain can't repair, that's when you start to have these neurological disorders. Yeah. And that's, that was something when I was having sleep issues that was really concerning to me is just not getting enough sleep at the right time. Mm -hmm. And because you can take a nap, but that's not the same as getting into that good deep sleep at night where your brain really does that thing called detangling, which it sounds like a big ball of yarn is all tangled up in there. And it's really kind of a funny way to think about it, but that's what's happening. It's like defragmentation of your brain and everything starts getting sorted out and put in order. We have a a friend and uh, her daughter had brain surgery and when they had they, they went in because there's a part of her brain that was literally you talked about detangling it looked like spaghetti mm-hmm. it was all entangled and uh i don't know you know i can't speak well enough on her condition or, or how it got there but she's a young 23 year old person that has this brain issue yeah so i mean it could be a number of things diet sleep uh you know any environmental toxins exposed to but you know you don't know exactly what it is but that's a really good uh point to make that you talk about detangling and that's exactly what it was her brain was like parts of it was like spaghetti right all and they had to go in and remove all that it's just crazy yeah that is that is crazy and so did we have something else well so uh, something else that we get a lot of uh, uh talk and we're talking you know broad about diet is is supplementation like should you should you have to supplement and people will say that all the time about hey if if your diet's so good you should not have to supplement well is that really true Okay, I have something to say about this one. What? <laughs> I know. So that's that's one of those things that people will make you feel bad about if you're on a carnivore diet or if you say you're on a ketogenic diet, especially people who are doing a plant-based diet. If you say, well, plant-based athletes have to supplement, then you get that pushback of like, well, aren't you supplementing some? Because if your diet provided everything, you wouldn't have to do that. Right. Here's the real thing. Is anyone's diet providing them with everything because of what we've done to our soil? So no matter what diet you choose, whether it's, you know, the banana diet or, you know, you're doing a carnivore diet with organs or not, or you're doing a vegan diet, you might have to supplement from time to time or depending on your background, you might have to supplement for a long time. And there's no shame in that. No, it depends on what previously what you've done. If you if you uh, didn't have a very good diet and you've got to the point where you have a lot of uh, deficiencies, you might have to supplement more than someone else does on the exact same diet because you're already deficient in something that you need. Right. So when we talk about this, is really when we talk about people who are becoming pregnant or wanting to become pregnant. As we keep going on in this world where we've had tons of vegetable oils, which I loved what I heard this one doctor call them this week. He said they're biological poisons. They should be labeled as biological poisons because they do so much cellular damage. And did you know it takes, like, I think it's 150 days to undo the cellular damage from eating fries once cooked in one of those oils? Well, I I read where it took, um, it was five years to redo all the cell, to undo all the cellular damage from years of eating processed oils. And I grew up on Crisco and vegetable <laughs> yeah. oil. Yeah, me too. And margarine. I mean, that's what we fry potatoes were in Crisco. Yeah, it's terrifying. So we've been doing a good job 
Uh, I'm saying so a lot. I need to quit that. Uh, we've been doing a good job of trying to fix that in our diet by eating plenty of butter and all the good stuff. All the good fats. However, that's going to be a problem as you see people start to procreate because we've had all these general, you know, all these years, these what since the '90s, um, we've switched all these vegetable oils over or the real fats to these vegetable oils. And now you have generations who were born during that time who grew up on those foods now starting to produce. So if you're a child born from that kind of malnutrition, you're starting behind the curve. You know, when we talk about minerals, mineral deposits, like our, our mineral stores in our body, our bones that we can draw from, they're just gonna have less of a well Right. To go and get what they need from when they're not eating well. Yeah, and and I, I know you've talked about before about how a child's microbiome is comes from its mother. Yeah, and the scary thing after somebody who's had three C sections is that your child gets the microbiome of the nurse who first holds it. Yeah, that's weird, right? That's creepy, man. So, yeah, I had three C-sections. So that, when I read that, I was like, why didn't somebody tell me about this? That wasn't in any of the what to expect when you're expecting. <laughs> well, I really don't think we, we knew. And we're discovering so much more about the microbiome. Just in the last five or six years, they've really started to focus on that. And I, what's funny is we're starting to understand how much we don't know. So it's so much that we don't know. There's so many things. Mm-hmm. So supplementation is not something to be ashamed about. That's just the bottom line. Do we supplement? Yes, at times with certain things. Um, recently, I started supplementing with vitamin C. So have you started any new supplements? Just not new. I mean, you talk about uh, we've been you know doing this for a long time. We added, initially when we changed over, adding magnesium was a big thing. Yeah. I mean, vitamin C is my new one that I'm doing right now. I always do the magnesium and salt, which is a natural. It's not, I don't consider that a supplement. Well, I, you know, I, and that is confusing because, uh, you know, a supplement people always think of, you know, the, the magnesium, the, the B vitamins, any other kind of stuff, but they don't assume like salt being a supplement. But that is one thing. That's a great point that we added more of the more we got into the diet. Yeah, we started really ramping up our salt intake, which somebody might say that's supplementing, but it's something that we normally could have gotten in nature if we were really out there living on the land and we knew where to look because ancestral people knew how to get their salt. Right. They also knew how to get their vitamin C. And that's something very interesting too. So some people will say, well, on a carnivore diet, if you're doing that, you shouldn't have to supplement vitamin C because there's vitamin C and the meat, which is true. However, a lot of ancestral people did eat the adrenal glands of the animal that they that they would kill, and those are where the highly it's highly concentrated vitamin C inside the in the adrenal glands, and Weston A. Price talks about that, and that's how they prevented scurvy. And there were some Indians up in Canada that would do that, and they kind of kept it a secret from white people. <laughs> I wonder why. Don't tell them. <laughs> you know, I wonder why. But they told him, and they showed him what they do. Mm-hmm. And um, that's how they prevented scurvy. 
and they knew that it worked. And how they knew it worked, I don't know. It was just, was it instinctual? Are we that far away from being the instinctual creatures that we should be? Probably. Oh, absolutely. 100%. Yeah, we're way off base. But vitamin C, you know, I started taking that because I noticed some ringing in my ears when I laid down at night to go to sleep. And I know that my adrenal glands uh, are being used a lot because of my age, my background, and the exercise that I do. So vitamin C was my first thing to try to, because I know that the adrenal glands and the ringing in the ears are connected. Vitamin C is what nourishes your adrenal glands. Easy peasy. I started supplementing and it pretty much has gone away. And, and that's a great point because being able, like we talked about how everyone is different, uh, other people that might not have the same adrenal fatigue might not need to supplement with vitamin C. Exactly. So you had to figure that out. I mean, and magnesium, like for me, uh, when, you know, a couple of years ago when I was drinking way too much water and it caused some, uh, some uh, atrial uh, fibrillation, some, you know, what do they call heart it? flutters. Heart flutters. Okay. Heart flutters. I was having heart flutters. Well, there was a certain type of magnesium, magnesium torate, that I could take it and it would make it go away. Yeah. And so you do that and you figure it out and there's no shame in doing it. A lot of people will feel like a little paralyzed if something's not working right and they're eating a diet where everybody says you shouldn't have to supplement. And that's going to be a lot of our carnivore friends they get told that they shouldn't have to supplement because meat is 100% of the nutrition, which is true. However, that doesn't take into account your background. Did you grow up on Crisco and sugar? Well, you might need to supplement a little bit. Well, And, and are you 20, 30, 40, 50, or 60? That, yeah. that makes a big difference as well because if you're in your 40s or in the 50s and you've been depleted for all that time, you're going to have to do more supplementation to somebody that's 20 and is still healthy. And you're also going to have to take into consideration your workouts because a sedentary carnivore, and we've said this a thousand times, it's like we're beating this horse. (laughs) So, you know, a sedentary carnivore is going to be different than an active carnivore. Right. It's just the way it is. You're demanding a lot more from your body if you're doing hard workouts. Like yesterday, we ran. I ran eight miles. What'd you do? Nine? No, eight miles. Yeah, eight. And so on those days, you know, I will say I might look a little bit more at my electrolyte intake because even though it wasn't a hot, hot day, it was like 65, 60 degrees. I didn't know this. Oh, the new Apple Watch make noises. (laughs) Maybe they didn't hear it. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, they totally heard it. So, you know, even though, you know, we weren't sweating buckets like we do in the summer, it's still your, the respiration, Mm -hmm. you're breathing out a lot of, a lot of fluid. You really are. You, You are. And another point to bring up is when winter rolls around and you're running the furnace, like, you know, we talked about our you know, furnace. I feel like uh, the guy from A Christmas Story when I go up in the attic and I make him all you this. You sound like the guy from The Christmas Story. <laughs> I did hear you up there yelling. A couple yeah, of times. I do yell quite a bit when I'm up in the attic working on the furnace. But um, you know, when you have when you're running that furnace, it's going to dry you out, and so you could get you're going to get dehydrated just by being in the house and the dry air. So you need to take in more water, which means you have to take in more electrolytes because when you increase water, you have to increase electrolytes. Um, all those things you have to start thinking about when winter rolls around. Yeah, it's not much different than it is in the summer. You're just not sweating. 
Right. <laughs> you might not be sweating, but you're still losing your fluids at a rapid rate. Well, it's easier in the summer when you're hot and sweating and working out. You naturally, you, you crave and drink more water. But in the winter, if you're not working out as much and it's colder, you don't crave the water like you do when it's hot. Yeah, you usually want coffee. Like you usually me. want coffee, yeah. <laughs> so so now instead of drinking all this water, you're drinking all this coffee and it's a diuretic, so you're going to you know have to deal with that. Uh, just know those little things. Because I talked to, even talked to my mom this week. She talked about how she was getting headaches. Yeah. And I asked her, hey, have you increased your water or, or how much water do you drink? And it was not very much. And I said, Mom, you gotta you gotta hit the water and the salt and the electrolytes. You gotta hit on it to get rid of those headaches. Yeah, that's one of the first signs of dehydration. First sign of dehydration is you start getting a headache. I mean, it's it's actually a later sign, and you really are really dehydrated dehydrated by the time you get those headaches. Right. But the quick fix is to get the electrolytes and the water and the salt going, you know, and make sure you get hydrated. But a lot of people don't understand where the headaches come from. They think it's sinuses or that allergies. Allergies, yep. And, um, you know, I mean, it's just one of those things to consider as we roll around here to some really cold temperatures across the across the United States. Yes, it's going to get really cold. Even down here in Texas. Yeah, it's going to get really cold. So, so that's the whole thing about supplementation. There is no you have to or you don't have to. There is, there is a who you are and what you need, and you have to figure that out or... Or possibly you could hire a nutritional therapist and they'll help you figure it out. This is true. There's a lot of us. I'm just saying. It's a growing community and I am one. Um, One thing I want to say about our run yesterday as we talk about supplementation and diet is that the run was long. It, It was an hour, one hour and 37 minutes for me of continuous running. And this morning I woke up and I didn't feel like I ran yesterday at all. And I want to thank my carnivore diet and my supplementation that I do of exogenous ketones and magnesium and salt and some vitamin C. Just say a big thank you to those things for helping me recover. Yeah, that's that is a great point. And when we talk about you know nutri- being nutritionally complete is recovery. I remember doing similar things, running eight ten miles before, and barely being able to walk the next day because my muscles were so sore. And that's when I was doing more a lot of carbs. Uh, trying to do the high carb diet so I could perform because carbs were for performance. Um, and now I don't have that issue. We ran yesterday, feel fine today, no soreness really to speak of, uh, and feel like I could go run again. Yeah, I felt like I could run this morning and then I looked outside. Oh, <laughs> there's no running. I was like, there's no the running wind today. is like 20 and 30 miles an hour today and it's cold. So now, and that's that. why we did, Sunday is not usually our run day, that's usually our, our off day, but it was such a great day. We're like, hey, let's get it in. It'll be, you know, way better than trying to run in the 23rd mile an hour wind today. Thank God for weather forecasts. Really? <laughs> That's all I can say. Um, one thing that I do want to end with today, unless you have something else. No. I said something that I regret. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So I said something about Sarah Hamilton a no, couple of episodes ago. No, it's ago. Linda Hamilton. You wrote down Sarah. I keep saying Sarah. <laughs> oh, God. Here, let, me, let me fix this right Linda now. Linda Hamilton. I did write down Linda Hamilton but because... you just combined her character with her real person. Yep, I was combining Sarah Connor and Linda Hamilton, and I got Sarah Hamilton. Yeah. It's pretty funny. It's, it is funny. So I mentioned her in a previous episode about, like, being vegetarian And I didn't have 100% proof of that, if you want to say it like that. But just bear with me for a second. 
I have to say, I don't know 100% that she was. She's 63. She did a no-carb diet for a year to get ready for this movie. Steve actually was able to work with this movie on... I consulted with Tim Miller, the director. Oh, and happy Veterans Day, by the way. Oh, You're my favorite veteran. All right. And so you were able to consult on this film, and I don't know 100% that she was a vegetarian. However, I do know that she did a low-fat diet, Mm -hmm. and I know that she, for one year, did no carbs because that's what's circling around on all the reports that she's... All the interviews she's been talking about... But everybody's jumping on the bandwagon and saying she was carnivore. And I don't think she was carnivore. (laughs) But she never says that. But she also hasn't been a vegan then or a vegetarian for at least a year. And I said something about her being vegetarian. And I didn't have good data on that. And I shouldn't have said it there. Well, well, here's what we know. Think, My bad. The kind of thing was, you got her a little confused with Susie Cameron, who is James I Cameron's did. wife. Yeah. And and this comes full circle because guess who is uh, the force behind the Game Changers? James Cameron. Right. So, uh, and again, also, who is a, a huge investor in Beyond Meat? James Cameron. And okay. guess who was his ex-wife? Linda Hamilton. Linda Hamilton. So, so, so there you go. We kind of bring everything together. Be wary. Uh, in my opinion, Game Changers is straight-up propaganda film because there's right. there's no science to speak of, um, and it's just it's just personal testimony, and they're trying to fear-monger and emotionally sway you into an opinion. And to me, that's not a documentary. That's that's straight up propaganda. And a lot of documentaries are going to be propaganda. Yes, let's they just are. let's just say if we made a documentary, we would probably slant it toward the carnivore diet and <laughs> you know, healthy fats. And that's just what would happen because that's what we believe in and that's what happens with documentaries. So you have to take every single one, even the ones that are pro your your preference with a grain of salt and really look at what they're saying and with this one, you know, it was my 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 mistake confusing Linda Hamilton and Susie Cameron and then the whole Cameron thing of being the game changers. So kudos to Linda Hamilton for getting herself in shape with no carbs. She doesn't say anything other than no carbs. Right. We don't know the level of fat. We don't, yeah. We don't know what she's doing. We don't know if she only ate whitefish because it was pure. <laughs> you know <laughs> totally totally she could have been following all those funny rules yeah all those weird things and you know everything in moderation because you don't want to get too pious about yep. you know your fasting and your eating white fish all for that purity. Good stuff. so it's really really interesting but I did make that mistake and I do want to apologize um, not that she'll ever hear this but to you guys well yeah for sure well we think that wraps up today's episode We really appreciate you guys tuning in and listening. We hope you have a great day. Hopefully it's not as cold and windy in your area as it is in ours. So if not, go out there, eat fat, and prosper. Thanks for listening to the Tasco Kitchen. Hit subscribe and leave us a review. Don't forget to send your questions to vtkquestions at gmail.com and visit our website, thetacticalkitchen.com.